I jotted down some shilas that came up. We'll run through. I think you're going to make an, uh, make an appearance in one of the shilas. So the first one is something I got asked today was, um, I remember when we used to serve, we don't anymore because of, uh, I don't know who's listening to this, I don't want to get in trouble. But when we used to serve the ice cream kiddush on Shabbos, uh, there was a period of time where my parents wanted to serve whipped cream cans. And I told them they shouldn't. Um, so I just want to explain where the Shiloh I've changed my view based on what I've found, based on the Svarim that i found. But originally, I said that you shouldn't use whipped cream on Shabbos. Now, what, what's the issue? So we know that the 39 malachas of Shabbos are biblical, and they're intended, there are 39 activities. The overall theme of a lot of these activities are changes. Changes. There's a famous teaching of Rishim Shkup. Rishim Shkup says that the Iker, Iser of Shabbos is not the action, it's the result. Hashem does not want changes to take place on Shabbos. He wants there to be no change, it's rest, it's not a day of creation. The cooking changes from raw to cooked. That's what Shimon says, anyone who's learned Taf knows that the beginning of Shabbos, it says, Hoytzah is malacha geruahi. Hoytzah, the Mesech Shabbos begins with Hoytzah, it begins with carrying, going from Rosh Hashayach to Rosh Hashayach. And Taisis, the first Taisis in Shabbos, already asked a question, which is like, why, why are you starting with this? Start with other things? So there's different answers. The Gemara talks about this. Rosh Shimon says, one, the Gemara describes Hoytzah as a unique halacha, a hard to understand halacha. So Rashi says, why is it hard to understand? Because I could carry inside this building all over, but the second I go outside, it's a problem. So Shimon says the deeper Indian is that the Iker objection of Shabbos is changes, is results. Hoytzah is the only malacha that doesn't have a change. Right? Every other, you know, when you sew something, it's now sewed up. You know, you break something, you make something. Shab- carrying, it's the same item, going from here to here, so there's not much of a change. Fine. The point is, those are 39 malachas. Chazal, according to Rashi, Chazal created an Isidur Abonin called Moilid. Moilid means you're not allowed to do any, to create any new entity. To make a change of your own that's not of the 39 is also forbidden because it looks like a malacha. Now, Rashi was referring to taking ice, crushing ice, turning into water. That's what he was referring to. There were Paiskim who felt, uh, including the Paiskim the Rav Simcha Bunim brings down in the Laws of Shabbos, he brings down as... Ravi Cheskel Roth, the Debert Sinarov, the Bermoisha, and Ramanasha Klein, the Ungvarov, they all felt you're not allowed to use whipped cream on Shabbos. Because going from a liquid to a cream is also a moilid. They feel that it's under, falls under the rabbinic prohibition of moilid. So for that, because of that, I used to not do it because he brings down that the, those are awesome. But I found a sefer called Rishume Aaron. Rishume Aaron was a Rav, I know his son very well is uh, Rav Aaron Felder. He was the Paisik for the Chofke for many years. He was a big Talmud of Moshe. Rishumi Aaron Chelek Bey's Daf Lamed. He brings down just things that Ramosha told him. And Ramosha said to him that you're allowed to use whipped cream on Shabbos. No explanation. Whipped cream is mutter on Shabbos. So I saw afterwards there's a set called River Vaisafrain that I bought, just bought. I was very happy about River Vaisafrain. Actually, the, the gift cards I was able to... River Vaisafrain, River Vaisafrain Greenblatt. He was a Talmud of Moshe. In he brings down, saw it this morning, he brings down that Rav Moshe, not just Rav Moshe, Rav David Feinstein, Rav Chaim Picha Scheinberg, and the Dayan Fisher were also all lenient. It's a big paiskim. Why? Probably because they feel that going from a liquid to a foam is not enough of a change. I don't know, but I think also if you leave foam long enough, it probably turns back into liquid. But even when it comes to turning into ice cubes, the, the, the Chabina Rav was against 
making ice on Shabbos. I'm talking about the old school pouring the water in the holder. He felt that it's a problem because the moilet, you're changing from liquid to a solid. Ramosha Feinstein was lenient because he felt it's not a real change because if you take the ice outside of the freezer, it goes back to water. So it's not a real change. And also you're dealing with this Isidur Abana, it's hard to know what falls on this guideline. So therefore, these Paiskim are lenient. It's not really important to understand why as much you have to know the result. They Paiskim that it's mutter. They feel that it's not a significant enough change. So because they feel that it's mutter, you're dealing with an Isidur Abonan. If you're dealing with an Isidur Abonan, these Paiskim are definitely big enough to be lenient. So I used to be Machmed, but then I found these ways. Ramesha Feinstein. Ramesha Feinstein was, you know, I, I think I mentioned a Maisa, I think I mentioned once, just about Ramesha Feinstein. Ramesha has a tshuva, which we talked about once, about opening up packages. Ramesha Shita is that you're allowed to open up, um, let's say, opening up a can. Again, he might have been machmer per, uh, because he felt that it's not a good idea, but, but on a conceptual basis, he felt that opening up packages a lot of times is a mother. So, uh, you know, cans, and that's uh, sardine cans, tuna cans, that type of thing. So I remember I was once talking to Rav Kalman, Rav Kalman Marshashiva, and I, I was talking about Ramay Shashita, we were talking about it for a few minutes, and then as I was walking away, I just turned to Rav Kalman and I said, I always hold a Ramay, is that okay? Because the Chazanish was against it, you know, sort of common, I guess didn't like that I asked that, you know, could you rely on Ramosha? So he turned to me and he said, Avi, are you asking if Moshe Feinstein knew how to learn? And if he wrote something, it was based on Torah knowledge? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I have, so ever since I this is Ramosha Feinstein. So Ramosha Feinstein felt that you're allowed to use whipped cream on Shabbos, so it's definitely, it's an Isidrabani, you definitely have a Torah line. Okay, that was Shiloh number one. I want to run through a couple more. Um, the second Shiloh was an interesting Shiloh. It, it, it seems more conceptual, but the background is very fascinating. Someone asked me, someone told me that they accidentally, um, they accidentally did an Isidur Abonah. Okay? What the Isidur Abonah, I don't remember. I just wrote it down as an accidental Isidur Abonah in my notes. They accidentally did an Isidur Abonah. The question is, like, like how bad is that? Like, what, what do you have to do? I remember I once got a, someone called me right before Yom Kippur. Mom like 30 minutes before Yom Kippur. They said that they ate the Sudam Afsakas, a Fleshik meal, and they were like, you know, going into the fast, they, they, they felt like they wanted to have a little sugar. So on their way out, they took a Hershey kiss, popped in their mouth, forgetting they were Fleshik. So they felt really bad. It's a half hour before Yom Kippur. So I told them two reasons. I said, first of all, if there's ever a time to do tshuva, now's the time. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a perfect opportunity. You know, it's right before Yom Kippur, you have a time. But I said, the real answer is, don't worry. There's a nasivis. So let me just explain. It's just a very fascinating sheet of the nasivis. The nasivis is in Shimon, uh, Simon, uh, was it, uh, I wrote the Reish Lama Dalit. The nasivis, not nasivis shal, <laughs> nasivis amish, but the nasivis. The nasivis writes in Simon Reish Lama Dalit that if a Jew does an Isidur Abonon accidentally, you don't need kapara. You don't need to do tshuva. Meaning, if a Jew does an Isidaraisa B'shoigig, if you do it a biblical prohibition accidentally, yeah, you need kapara. That's called the carbon, right? If a person eats pork accidentally, that's a chatos. That's it's a shoigig. You bring a chatos. Says in the Sivis, he's mechadish, that if a Jew does an Isidarabonon B'shoigig, if you do a rabbinic prohibition accidentally, no kapara necessary. No kapara necessary. So why? So if Shimon Shkop in Shariyosher. Shar Aleph, Perak Yud, he says the reason is as follows. I'll tell you the jargon from Yeshiva. It sounds very, very fancy, but it's very, very simple. An Issa der is an Issa Gavra, not an Issa Chafsa. What that means is very simple. An Issa der is an Issa Chafsa. What do I mean? An Issa Chafsa. The Chafetz itself 
is problematic. That when the Torah says don't eat pork, what the Torah is saying is pork is poison for you spiritually. Therefore, what happens if a person consumes poison accidentally, God forbid? He's still going to die. Right? It doesn't matter. It's in your body. You've got to expel it. You need Ipecac to get it out. In Isa is an Isa meaning the Torah is saying this is spiritually bad. Therefore, if you put pork in your mouth, I don't care what your cheshben is, you got to do tshuva. Shimon is mechadish, that Isur and Rabbanon are not Isuri chefza. They're Isuri gavra, meaning when the Torah says, when the rabbis say don't, don't eat something, let's say it's something that's only rabbinically forbidden, chicken and, and milk. It's a rabbinic prohibition. There's nothing biblically wrong with that food. The rabbi said don't do it. The objection of eating it is not that you're putting poison in your body. It's you're rebelling against the rabbis. The issue is it's an act of rebellion. It's an iser gavra. If the rabbi said don't do it, I, there's nothing wrong with it, so what? You've got to listen to the rabbis. But if you do it accidentally, no one thinks that that's a rebellion if you're doing it accidentally. So comes the Nesivas and he says, when you do an Isser accidentally, you need, you need tshuva. But an Isser is, is the Isser is, is rebelling against the rabbis. I'm not rebelling, it was an accident. That's the sheet of the Nesivas. There are those that disagree. The Mishabura seems to disagree because the Mishabura talks about how if a person is Mechal Shabbos on a rabbinic level accidentally, he needs to fast. So there are places who disagree with the Nesivas Shalom. The Nesivas Amishpat is a... Is a it's a very, very, uh, it's huge. It's, uh, it's one of the biggest Pisces to ever live. And therefore, you definitely have it to rely on. Now, I, I, I won't go too far into the weeds. But why, Ramosha Short actually wrote a very, very beautiful article about this years ago. You could ask him about it. This was in the, in the journal. I don't know which journal. I don't remember. I think it was, was the Masifta. The Masifta journal is Tervedas. Why would he be in that? No, maybe it was in the YU journal. Actually, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll see him. If I don't see him, you'll ask. He, he wrote about this, whether Nisad Rabbana is a Gavir Sechefza, and he wrote it very well, and he talked about why, why is it the rabbis don't create an Isser on the actual Chefetz itself. So he quoted Rav Yosef Engel and Asvin Deraisa. The Asvin Deraisa says it's because the rabbis don't have the Koyach to do this, that Hashem never gave over that Koyach to create, to create Isurim by the rabbis. And it talks, whatever, it goes into Islam Yenam, Whatever, it's not for now, but the, that's a very interesting tshuva. If I could find it, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay, I, I will say this. This will lead us into the next one. There's a shita of the Minchas Alazar. The Minchas Alazar's opinion is, the Munkacher, that he felt that normally Isurim de Rabbanon are in Isser Gavra. They're not on the, the person, uh, the item itself is fine. It's just the rabbis say not to rebel. You don't need to do tshuva. He says, except for one Isser, and that's uh, wine that was touched by a non-Jew. Stam Yenim. Stam Yenam, he feels, feels, is an Isser Chefza. Now, why it's relevant, it's not, not for now. He's obviously not agreeing with Rav Yosef Engel that says that they don't have the Kayach, because they do have the Kayach by wine. Why, why does he feel so strongly about wine that's touched by an Andrew? And this will lead us into the next point. There's a, there's a Sefer from the Rishonim, I believe it's called Yain Amashumer. The Ramah quotes, it's quoted by the Chachma Sadam, that he says that anyone who reads the Sefer about the stringency of drinking wine that was touched by an Andrew, Again, wine that's touched by a non-Jew is forbidden. Why? It's two reasons. Forbidden to drink because it could lead to intermarriage. Forbidden in benefit because of its association with idolatry. So you've got to deal with intermarriage and idolatry. It's a, it's a bad combo. Those are the two most severe things in Judaism. Intermarriage and idolatry. So when it comes to intermarriage, most places can hold that old, even though the, the Minchas Yitzchak writes that even though 
you could, I think it's Chelegalif Simen Samach, that even if, even if you could com- account a non-religious Jew who doesn't keep Shabbos as part of the minion, but someone who's intermarried, absolutely not. Intermarriage is always, you know, one of the most severe. So Stam has to do with intermarriage and idolatry. There's a Sefer from the Rishonim that the Chachmas Adam writes, if you read this Sefer about the stringency, he says, you'll pull your hair out. That's his Lashem. You pull your hair out, the severity of, uh, you know, it's like your soul gets cut off. It's very, very stark, very, very starkness. So this leads to the next one. Someone asked me, why is it that, like, where does it come from that you shouldn't drink wine, that some people don't drink wine if a non-Jew looked at? So it's a Chabad thing, I'll say that. Chabad is the only one that I'm aware of that is practically to this day particular, that they won't allow a non-Jew to even look at wine. But it's not really Chabad, it's an old minig, the Chidah, the Chidah, so the Chidah is the 1750s. He brings down such a minig, not to allow a non to even look at it. Again, it's just putting up this distance. Um, that's why if you ever watch videos from the Rebbe, if a wine, it, the wine was covered in a bag. He didn't want to, if there was a non in the room, they're, non, they're makbid. And Chabad to this day is makbid. Um, I don't think it's something the average person has to be particular about, but I wouldn't make fun of it. It's, it's an old, old minute, going back to the times of Chidah. It has to do with the severity of, of non-Jewish wine or wine that was touched by a non-Jew, and they really wanted to put up the, you know, it's like, if you're ever going to put up a safeguard for idolatry and intermarriage, those are the ones you're going to do. So therefore, they put up, so it's such, I just want to mention, the Izamikar, it's brought down by the Chidah, but the, to my knowledge, the only Jews that are particular about it nowadays are Chabad. So that's a whole discussion. So no, they don't have to actually touch the wine itself, but they have to touch the bottle and agitate it. Uh, there's all, it's, it's beyond... Pouring it for sure, but even not pouring it, if it's op- meaning if it was opened at some point, if they were to shake it, that would be an issue. And they don't touch it? Okay. Yeah, Chabad won't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's technically fine. I, I will say this, um, Rabbi Olbam has chuvas in his, in his most recent sefer, Minchas uh, Chayn on Shulchan Aruch. He brings down that there are certain circumstances where even if a non-Jew were to pick up the bottle and maybe move it gently, where no agitation is done, you could be lenient. But it's, a, it's above my pay grade. I, I'd have to check it up. I, I don't want to speak at a turn. It's a very complex aspect. But, but that, that's the concept. Um, so the next one is what we talked about, um, and that is, let's say someone's son is a doctor, and they want to give an injection, or the dentist, can he do a root canal on his parent? So let me explain where this comes from. We know that um, one of the most severe prohibitions uh, related to Kivar Ve'eim is a chabura, inflicting a wound. We had it in Dafyoimi a couple days ago, that uh, gets you the death penalty, right? That's why the Gemara was talking about if a person wounds his parent, he doesn't have to pay for all the financial pen- penalties because you're getting killed. So Chabura is a very, very severe thing. Um, and Chabura is causing, any, uh, causing blood. Any, any wound that has uh, drops of blood or internal bleeding, that will get you the death penalty. So because of this, the Shulchan Aruch, I wrote this down, this is the Shulchan Aruch in Yeredeya, Simen Reshmem Aleph Sif Gimel, he says, Let's say a father has a splinter. It's very, very relevant. You have an el- elderly parent. The, you got glass in his hand. 
So you want to remove it. The problem is that when you remove it, it could cause there to be bleeding if you're not careful, because you could dig around and you can cause there to bleed. So the Shulchan Aruch says, Lo yetzienu. Don't take out the splinter or the shard of glass, Shemi Yavei Lasis because you might lead to causing them to bleed. And if he's a doctor or a dentist, lo dam Don't do a surgery. Even though your intention is not to hurt, your intention is to heal. Now the Rishonim explain that it, wounding a parent when it's not intending to hurt is a rabbinic prohibition. So you may, you may make it, but it's a, it's a big iser. So the Shulchan Aruch tells, says very clearly, do not do it. Therefore, if someone were to ask, let's say someone's a diabetic and they have to do the insulin uh, testing the blood or injections, the child should not do that for the parent. But what are circumstances where it is allowed? So the Ramah says as follows. The Ramah says, When are we strict if there's someone else to do it? So let's say the kids, the, the, the parent has a splinter or the parent needs an injection or the parent is a, de- a child. Are you allowed to do a dentistry on your parent? There's no like laws against that? I don't know. But let's say medically it's allowed. I don't want someone to hack me about it. But so, so the Shulchan Aruch says, oh, sir. But let's say, says the Ramah, if there's no one else to do it, and the parent is in pain, then it's allowed. So, okay. So basically from the later day Paiskim, this is how they evolve it. You're only allowed if the following circumstances. Number one, let's say the parent does not trust anyone else. Let's say it's a case where the parent is older and they're nervous. They do not trust anyone else to do this surgery, injection, splinter, removal. The only one they let and they trust is the kid, then it's fine. Because they don't trust anyone else. You don't have to make the parent nervous. If the parent doesn't trust anyone else. Number two, let's say they can get someone else, but it's very difficult. A big tircha. It's the mechasis, it's who we were talking about. Let's say, I'll give you an example. Um, the son is a doctor. The, the, the parent wants a flu shot. Okay, and the son's a doctor. He could he is he could give it in a second. For the parent to get it, the parent will have to spend three hours going to the city. I don't know the case, whatever it is. Okay, so you have what to rely on. It's a big tircha, or it'll cost money. The poiskamalin. So if the parent trusts only trusts the child, then it's allowed. Or if 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 it's incredibly difficult to get someone else, then you have what to rely on. But the poiskam do say, and I think I mentioned this to you. The poiskam do say that before, let's say the parent is getting an injection from the child because there's no one else or it'll be very, very difficult to do it, the parent should verbally say, I am Michael you. Even though most Rishonim hold that you can't be Michael a parent on punching them, you can't punch your father if he's Michael you, it doesn't work like that. But the, and by the way, that's why, but still for this, it might be good. I will say this though, um, you should be very careful, very, very careful with paintball. A, pe- a person should not go paintballing with the father, with the parent, even if they're on the same team. I've never gone paintballing before because I don't think it's a very, I don't think it's something, uh, you know, it's not a very Jewish uh, activity, but they say it's, it's very fun. I, I've never done it before. I've been told that, I sound very old, I also sound very tired, so I'm taking more time to try to think of words. Um, I've been told that it's very possible to shoot your own teammates accidentally, meaning it's, it's a possibility, it's not outlandish. If you go with your parents, because it does cause a wound, it causes a black and blue mark. It, it's it's something I would uh, I I don't I don't I would not do it. I would say that I would not do it to go paintballing with a parent. I'm, it's not worth it. If God forbid, 
Either dealing with an Issa Daraisa that can get you the death penalty, or maybe you hold like the Rishonim that if you're Kavana, over there your Kavana is to shoot them. So I think okay, probably if you if you're on the other team and you intend to hit your father and hit your father with paintball, I think I don't know. To me, it would be Chayv Misa. So definitely not Kedai. Um, okay, couple more things. Here's the following case. The following case is a person is going to wash for bread, but he also needs the bathroom. So what's the procedure? Do you go wash your hands after the bathroom, say Asha Yatsar, but then your hands are clean? Do you wash your hands once? Do you wash your hands twice? Well, what's the story? So, the truth is, there is a simon in Shulchan Aruch that is dedicated to this in Simon Kuf Samachai. It's a very short simon. The Shulchan Aruch says as follows The Shulchan Aruch says what he would do is you go to the bathroom, you wash your hands, but not a full natila, meaning you don't do it with a kais. You don't do full. You wash your hands enough to clean that you can make an Asha Yatsar. You say Asha Yatsar. Because if you do a full Natila, let's say after the bathroom every time you use a Kais, which is a very nice thing to do. If you use a full Kais, and then you say Asha Yatsar, how do you, make an, how do you wash your hands again for Al Natila's Your hands are clean. It's a Brachla Vatala. So you wash your hands just enough that they're clean that you can make an Asha Yatsar. Then ideally you scratch your head, you make them a little dirty. Then you wash your hands again and all these times. That's the Shulchan Aruch's Eitzah. So you do two Natilas. One Shvacha uh, Natila, a weaker Natila, Asha Yatsar, then a full Natila, all these times. The Mishabura, though, brings down a second alternative, which, by the way, was the Hanhag of the Chazanish. The Chazanish followed this second view. The Stipler also. And I saw Ramayish Sternbach says that it's Minig of Yisrael. I don't know if it's the Minig of Yisrael, but that, uh, I, I don't know what people do. The second Eitzah is from the Mishabura, and that is. Here's what you do. You wash a full natila three times on either hand, like you're doing for bread after the bathroom. Say Ashayatsar, say Al Natila Sidaim, Ashayatsar Hamaitzi. Meaning, you make the Al Natila Sidaim right away, then you make an Ashayatsar, because there are opinions that hold that Ashayatsar is not a hefsik. So the two options are the Shulchan Aruch's view is wash a uh, semi natila, Ashayatsar, full natila, Anasi Sidaim, or Mishaburah brings down from some Paiskim, you do a full Natila, Al Natila Sidaim, Asha Yatsar Hamaitzi. I think either way is fine. I could tell you, I mean, the Shulchan Aruch brings down the first Eitzah, so I think that the most people would do that. But if, let's say, you're in a situation where, I'll give an example. I could just think about this, this is, makes more sense to me. You're on the plane, okay? On the plane, they serve bread. Uh, it's not going to go for now. I don't, we could do this another time. I don't believe in Mizona's rules. I, I, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not me, I'm saying Rebelsky. I was affected by Rebelsky. He was a, he's a very convincing writer. So I wash on these rolls. So you go into the bathroom. Going to the bathroom, it's always there are people waiting. It's not, so to go in, do a shvach natila, come out, ashiyatza, go in. That could be a big hassle. That could be, a, you know, for such a situation, you have what to rely on. And that's the second view, which is to do a full natila, those are the two options. Three, the, yeah, like like whatever you would do for bread, full natila for bread. I do three times, some do two times, whatever it is, a full a full natila for bread. That's 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 the second option. Um, yeah, yeah. Listen, I think that the average situation. Listen, I'm not gonna say I I would never say that that's wrong because that's the mishabura and the chazanish. I think. The standard psak is to follow the Shulchan Aruch, which is to do two natilas. 
if someone wants to do one atila for whatever reason, do they have it to rely on? It's a chazanish. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, for sure. But those are the two options, like I said. So I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Oh, so I'll tell you why. The Paiskim don't like doing that. They mentioned that. The reason why they don't like doing that is because at the end of the day, Ashiyatsar is a mitzvah that you have, mitzvah to postpone an Ashiyatsar even for a few moments, they don't like doing. You're right. It, it seems like that should be a, a conceptual option because it's not the end of the world. But the Paiskim don't like that option because they don't want to push off Ashiyatsar that long because at the end of the day, you went to the bathroom, you should, take, you should thank Hashem right away. But those are the two options. Uh, I'll mention two more halachas and then we'll stop. Uh, one is, uh, someone asked me, um, so uh, the question I just got is, um, can an ovel during Shloshim cut their nails? So the Shulchan Aruch writes in Yeridea Simen Shin Tzadi, Siv Zayin, Kishem She'asa Legalech Kol Shloshim Yom, just like an ovel is not allowed to get a haircut for 30 days, Kachas Elitit Supernayim Bikli, you're not allowed to cut your nails with a, with a clipper. Avil Biyadav, but to scratch your nail from one nail to scratch it off, using your hands, or biting your nails, that's mutter, but using a clipper is also during shloshim. Now, if a woman needs to go to the mikvah, those are separate halachas, the, the Ramah talks about it, getting a non-Jew, that's not for now. But uh, the average case, that's something that uh, uh, a mourner during shloshim should not use a clipper to cut their nails. Um, one last halacha, and that is, uh, it's a bit of a... I guess stop the recording now if you don't want to hear about uh, women, <laughs> women with Kiddush and Shabbos. Uh, it's a bit of a clever chumrah from, uh, from the Shemir Shabbos Kilchasen. Okay, the halach is like this. I'll try to do this while I'm uh, half asleep. Um, the halach is that before davening on Shabbos and during the weekday, you're allowed to drink water, coffee, orange juice. I don't eat. See the meat? Okay. Fine, but that's a separate, that's a discussion of before davening. There's a discussion of what you're allowed to consume. It's not like shahakal is allowed, mizonas is not allowed. You're not allowed to eat anything, really, because you're supposed to um, ask for your life before taking care of your body. There's a, the heter that Chabad and other chassidim have is because the Tzemach Tzedek uh, told his daughter that it's better to... It's better to eat so that you could daven, not to daven so that you could eat. That was the line from the Tzemach Tzad. He said in Yiddish, it was basically because like, uh, a lot of people will just daven quickly so that they could eat breakfast. Uh, that's your davening so you could eat. He said it's better to eat so you have strength to daven than to daven so you have strength to eat. Okay, fine. But that, that's a before Shachris. That's the same halacha the weekday on Shabbos. Can you have a cup of coffee on Shabbos morning before Shachris? Yeah. The same you could have it throughout the week. Shabbos, though, has a uniqueness, and that is after Shachris you now have to make Kiddush. Once you have to make Kiddush, you're not allowed to eat anything or drink anything. So before Shachris, you're allowed to have a cup of coffee. After Shachris, you can't even drink water. Okay, that's that's because you need Kiddush. The Zman of Kiddush is after Shachris. Oh, exactly. So, so here's the thing, though. What a lot of women do, there's a Shaila in the Rishonim and in the Paiskim, the Mishabring brings down, women have to daven Shachris. The question is, what is the definition of shachris? Stam, throughout the week, stam. Some opinions say they have to daven the full shachris, with Shemona Esrei, the, the same way we daven. The shita, the Magad of Ram brings down a shita that holds that no, they're actually yoytze shachris with brachas. If they say brachas, they're yoytze shachris. 
If they want to then say a full shachris, it's beautiful. Based on this heter, what many women will do is during the week, they'll say brachis, they've officially davened, now they can eat breakfast. That's what Pesachas do. Say brachis, now you can eat breakfast, and then you could daven the full, the full, the full, the full davening, because you've already davened shachris. Says the Tesefah Shabbos and Shmir Shabbos Gilchazan, this leniency during the week creates a big stringency. If brachis is shachris for the week to allow you to eat, then brachis is shachris on Shabbos to warrant Kiddush. So the Shmir Shabbos Gilchazan shita is that if a woman says brachis, she can't eat anymore. So that means that if a woman wants to have coffee in Shabbos morning, she shouldn't say brachis. Because if she says brachis, that, that's... If, you, you say that it's shacharis during the week to allow you to eat breakfast, and if it's shacharis during, then if it's shacharis on Shabbos, you need Kiddush. Now the Kafachaim disagrees. The Kafachaim says, no. Brochis is only shacharis on Shabbos if that's all you're going to say. If you plan on saying Nishmas and Shema and Shema it's not shacharis, you don't need Kiddush. Okay. The point is, the Shita of the Shemir Shabbos is that you need Kiddush. Now, at the end of the day, say Kiddush. I don't know, it's the Kiddush is just Hagefen. It's not a big deal. If a woman, according to Shmir Shabbos Gilchosan, if a woman says brachis and then she wants to have a, 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 a piece of cake, which is what she does during the week, she'll have to make kiddush. So let her make kiddush. I mean, it's 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 agafen. If she doesn't make kiddush, does she have to have what to rely on? Kavachaim says it's a bit of a contradiction in her own actions because that's what they do during the week. But that's the background of that shaila. Um, again, it's it's a clever stringency chap from the Sefer Shabbos. Yeah. Correct. Yes, you would. You would. You would have. Correct. Meaning, according to the Kavachayim, on Shabbos morning, if she has, if she says brachis, then she has cake. Then her issue is not eating before kiddush. It's that she's eating before shacharis. So if she's a chassid, who follows the Kavachayim, then she's fine. But the, the, those people don't really exist. So yes, you're right. Once, according to the Kavachayim you would only need to make Kiddush after Shacharis, so after Brachas you could still eat, but you could only eat what you could eat before Shacharis, which is wine and uh, water and, and coffee and then orange juice for Chule. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's... But again, what people do, you have to ask your local uh, Rav, but this is the, a bit of a background as that Shaila. Again, like I said, making Kiddush is not the end of the world, it's just like Geffen, so what's the, you know, it doesn't, doesn't hurt. But I guess you'd have to eat because then Kiddush Mokav Suda, you're, you're getting yourself into a little bit of a a rabbit hole. That's our. We'll stop here. Oh, so I'll mention that uh, drinking water or coffee throughout davening. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, for, first of all, during the week, I, I don't think it's appropriate. It just doesn't feel appropriate. I wasn't raised like that to sit with a cup of coffee. I know it's become a popular thing, especially amongst the Sephardi circles. They do bring in a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. Uh, Rav Yisroel Kiyosef has a chuva about it, where he discusses it in Rishon Litzion. Whatever. I, I'm not going to say it's us here. It's just it's not where I'm coming from. I don't, I don't, it's not, I can't imagine your generation either. Yeah, it's not from the old school. I'll say that. It's not the old school. But Shabbos, you're right. It's a bigger problem. Shabbos, you want to drink up to Shachris, okay? But once you, once you finish Shachris, you need Kiddush. So it's definitely something that would be a halachic problem on Shabbos for sure. The people that drink cons- consistently into Kriya Satoira, I, I, they just probably don't know. There are some people, listen, there are times where if I'm chazan or about to speak where I have something stuck in my throat, I'll quickly grab some water because, you know, whatever, that's, that's a different story. But the people that will be drinking 
after Shachris, after during laning, it's it's not appropriate. They they need to hear Kiddush. I will stop.